0: What is on our mind is what shapes us, and molds us, and affects what we're feeling. And so we're in a series of messages looking at the mind. And part of the reason I chose this series of messages is that in modern American Christianity, we tend to put so much emphasis on feeling, what we're feeling. Uh, We'll talk about coming to church and whether we are feeling the presence of God or not. We talk about what we feel in life, etc. And we tend to ignore the mind, and yet the feelings are ultimately driven and shaped by what's going on in our mind. And if the battle is won in the mind, then everything else is going to fall into place. And so this morning I want us to look at how the Holy Spirit of God wants to has the ability to, if we will allow Him, to impact our thinking. What's going on in our minds? Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 5. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 5. As you turn there, last week we saw from Matthew's Gospel chapter 15 that Jesus said that the mind, unimpacted by Him with no presence and work of the Holy Spirit, and it just sort of left to itself, is going to produce some stuff. And the stuff that he says it produces is not good. He talked about it has evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. He says that defiles the person. Years ago, we were on a mission trip in Venezuela, and I'm not sure how my son did this. But we had finished up the project for the day and I looked across the street and there was a field over there. And I noticed that my son, was he was probably about 13, 12 or 13 at the time. I noticed that he was just standing in this field with this helpless disposition. And I thought, what in the world is going on with him? And then I noticed some of our workers from our church we were serving at the time were over there trying to help him out. And so I decided I wouldn't go over there to find out what was going on because it looked like it probably wasn't a real positive thing. And then they began to wipe him down, which really sort of made me wonder what had happened. Well, what had happened is Jonathan had discovered by experience that he was in a sewerage drainage area. And I'm not sure how he got over in that field, but when he got over in that field, he got stuck over in that field. And not only did he have the sewage that had gotten on his clothing, on his feet, etc., but the smell that accompanies it had also gotten on him. And he was a mess, so they were over there trying to get the junk off of him and clean him up, etc. And what Jesus is saying here is, when you and I let our minds just wander and go for it without the discipline, without the direction of the Holy Spirit of God, it's like getting into a mental sewage field, and we just get all kinds of junk on us. Pretty helpless picture that he paints here. In the book of Romans, though, the Apostle Paul, in the 8th chapter, gives us some hope. He gives us hope as to what the Spirit of God can do and wants to do with our minds. There are 18 plus references to the Holy Spirit in the 8th chapter of the the book of Romans, more references to the Holy Spirit in this chapter than any other chapter of of this particular book. Now what Paul has been writing about in the preceding chapters is that God gives us His law. And God says, this is what I want you to do. And then God says, this is what you're not supposed to do. This is my law. And you and I look at that and we see what we're not supposed to do and we see what we're supposed to do and we say, yeah, all right, I'm going to follow the law of God. And then what do we do? We go out and just blow it all over the place. And we get very defeated by that. And so the law of God, instead of being a help to us, becomes a source of defeat to us because it almost serves to condemn us and see in all the places that we're failing and blowing it. And so we're left in this dilemma. God's saying, don't do this, and we go out and do it. God says, I want you to do this, and we turn around, and that's the very thing we don't do. And so what Paul is going to move to in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans is he's saying, listen... God understands this dilemma we've got before the law, and that's the reason He's given us the Holy Spirit, and the eighth chapter of Romans is an examination and a celebration of the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. He is saying this is what the Holy Spirit of God has the power to do and will do in your lives if you allow Him, particularly as it relates to the mind. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Romans 8, we're going to look at verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh, that is under the power of us, that part of us that just wants to be hostile towards God. For those of us who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Sermon outline is contain your bulletin. I invite you, if you were, to follow along with me. When we focus on what he says the things of the flesh are, it's going to lead to death. Now, Paul is teaching us here in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, that there is no such thing as neutral thinking. Either we are thinking along the lines of our sinful human desires, which He calls the flesh, and we'll look at that in more detail in a moment, or we are thinking along the lines of the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but there's no neutral thinking. We're either going down one path, setting our minds in one direction, or setting our minds in the other. And wherever we choose to set our minds... That is the direction that our life is going to go and the destiny that we will eventually live out. Now, it's a very interesting word where he says in verse 5, if you choose to set your mind on the things of the flesh, or you can set your mind on the things of the Spirit. The verb that's translated there, set, is the idea of choosing sides. And what Paul is saying here is that in our minds, in our lives, there is the flesh and there is the Spirit. And they are at war with each other. Have you ever felt inside of yourself that there's this conflict going on inside of me? I don't know what I ought to do. I know who I ought to be. And yet I turn around and say and do the exact opposite. He says there's this war going on inside of us. The flesh and the Spirit. And Paul says, we've got to make a decision Whose side are we going to choose? Whose side are we going to be on? And so this idea of setting the mind is making a deliberate, conscientious decision. I'm going to choose whose side I'm going to be on. Now verse 5, he talks about first the flesh. Setting my mind on the things of the flesh. Now what is this idea of flesh? He's not talking about... Skin and bones, and, and that kind of idea. That's not the idea at all. It's rather a metaphor that he is using to speak of that part of us which is the seat of sin in our lives. It's the place in us that is opposed to God and hostile towards God. It's very transitory, and that is the things that we set ourselves on in our thinking and in the living of our lives that are not of the Lord is not going to last. But this part of us provides for sin, accommodates sin, fuels sin, and gets us all entangled in sin. This this flesh part of me accommodates temptation. When temptation comes along, in fact, sometimes we even create it, what do we do? The flesh part of me jumps into it, enjoys it, etc. The flesh part of me loves to engage in worry and just trying to take over every little situation in life and worry myself into it and around it and out of it. Sort of like my grandfather used to say to my grandmother, you're going to have a fit and fall in the middle of it. And that's sort of the way that tends to work in our lives when we get into the worry side. Of things, It sits and it plays with things in the mind and lets things get a hold on us and get a foothold in our lives. And then that thinking becomes action, the action becomes a habit, etc. So that's the idea that that part of us, that flesh part of us is where sin sets up business in our lives. And we get all entangled in it, which means we get all in bondage in it. Have you ever gone walking somewhere and before you realized it, you stepped into something that tangled up your feet and the more you tried to move your feet, what happened? The more tangled up in the wiring or whatever it was you got. Well, that's the idea of this flesh here. The more we move around in it, the more in bondage we become to it. Paul said in Romans chapter 7 and verse 25, "...with my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh..." I serve the law of sin. Now in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul outlines here what the works of the flesh are, what we get tangled up in. And notice the outline that he gives, what he lists here. Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, and as we saw last week, that is not just physical, that is of the mind. Sexual immorality, and it starts there. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul says, I'm going to give you a list of what the things of the flesh are. If you and I want to know whether we are operating in the flesh or under the power of the Holy Spirit, take that list and laid up aside our lives, and I have to ask myself, to what degree am I living and practicing those things? Now, it's easy to start going through the list and think, well, that do not apply to me, that do not apply to me. But I don't know about you, but as you go through that list, sooner or later stuff starts hitting me. I'm afraid I'm falling to this one or falling into that one. And so all of us have got this struggle because everything that he lists here, one way or the other, we're going to end up in some of it messing around in some of it because that is just the work of the flesh in us. Now, back earlier in the year we went through the fruits of the Spirit, which he follows with that, and those are the exact opposite of these works of the flesh. So if I look at the list of the fruits of the Spirit, and I look at the list of the works of the flesh, I can pretty well figure out, am I living in the power of the Holy Spirit, or am I living in the power of my flesh? And so he lists those things there. Two of them in particular. Jealousy. Seeking popularity in life over everything else. And I get jealous of other people and what they've got, etc., who they are or where they are in life or how they're blocking me from getting that position or having it. Anger fueled by bitterness in my life. It's like Paul is saying, you go into, we go into a cul-de-sac and we get caught in that cul-de-sac and we can't move around anywhere because of that work of the flesh and it's basically spiritual suicide. It destroys us in our relationship with the Lord. Now, he's going to move on from that, and he says, but you don't have to be there. He says, you can set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to set your mind on the things of the Spirit? It means my mind is open and sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It means that I am opening myself to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, and I am living my life in obedience to the Holy Spirit. It means, first of all, that I'm not trying to obtain and keep my salvation through what I do. Rather, I am leaning 100% into Jesus and who He is and what He did on the cross for my salvation. And so the peace and security of knowing that I belong to Him and that I'm going to be in heaven someday is dependent upon Jesus and what He did on the cross and in His resurrection and not dependent upon me. It means that we as a church lean into the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now notice what he says, Romans chapter 8, verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind to choose the side of the Spirit, to set my mind to focus on the Spirit, is life and peace. He says, when I choose to set my mind on the Holy Spirit, when I make the deliberate decision to allow the Spirit of God to control my thinking, my focus, I am focused on the Lord, and part of that is not allowing the other junk to come into my thinking, then He says I'm going to have peace. I'm going to have an inner tranquility. I'm going to be able to rest in the reality that God is at work in my life, accomplishing what He wants to on His schedule, and I am at peace with that. Now, in Romans 8, he outlines these things of the Spirit that I focus my mind on. He says, verse 6, "...set the mind..." On the spirit. Now, how do I set my mind on the spirit? It's easy to read this and get defeated in the sense that does that mean I'm supposed to go around all day long quoting Bible verses and thinking about church and you know praying all the time, and the tendency is to say, well, Pastor, I just can't do that because I mean I've got a job I got to go to, I've got to focus on this, that, and the other on the job, I've got these responsibilities. Is that what he's talking about? No, that's not what he's talking about. In Romans chapter 8, the whole chapter is filled with what it means to set our minds on the work of the Holy Spirit, on the things of the Spirit, and to allow the Holy Spirit of God to control our thinking. Now, follow me on this, because it's basically setting up what I call the atmosphere of our lives. I'm going to run through this verses 1 through verse 37. Follow with me closely, if you will. First thing. If I'm living and I've set my mind on the things of the Spirit. He says in verse 1 of Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I live as a person who is no longer under condemnation. I'm free from sin. I'm free from guilt. I'm free from shame. I'm free from everything that Satan tries to pick up and throw in my face over and over and over again and condemn me and tell me I can't get victory in that area. I'll never get beyond that. I'm just stuck in that place for the rest of my life. He says we don't live in that condemnation anymore. So the first aspect of living in the the power of the Spirit is not living under condemnation. Now, go down with me to verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God, and you do not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So the second aspect here of living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and setting my mind is not only do I not live condemned anymore, but I also now can choose to live as one of His children. I am a son of His. I, you are a lady. You are a daughter of His, which means you belong to Him. But belonging to Him means the Spirit of God has been placed in our lives to cry out, Abba, Father. We saw that last week. It's a title of respect and it's a title of closeness. He has placed inside of us a cry, a thirst, a yearning to call out to Him and say, "'Lord, I know I belong to You. I know I'm Your child, and I'm calling out to You. So not only do I not belong to the sin, the shame, the guilt anymore, but living in the power of the Spirit means that I begin to live, I think, I pray, I cry out to Him as His child. I belong to Him.'" Folks, that will grip us in our prayer life, it means that every time we pray, my praying begins with the idea, with the thinking, with the feeling, with the sensation that I belong to the one that I am praying to. And when I call out upon Him, and He creates within me the yearning to call out upon Him, that when I say, Father, there's that sense that He's there, He loves me, He's waiting to listen to us. Now, verse 17... He starts talking about suffering. Where is God in the place of suffering in our life? How do we think about God when we come to the place of suffering in our lives? And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, I want you to follow this closely. How do I set my mind on the things of the Spirit when I suffer? And the reason I want you to follow closely is because we tend to have this idea that if I'm following the Lord and serving the Lord and walking with Jesus, then He removes suffering from my life. But what happens when He doesn't? That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. First of all, he says, if we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer. He doesn't say we don't suffer. He doesn't say God removes suffering. He says the exact opposite. He says we suffer. But notice how it says we suffer. With Him. The suffering that I go through in life is a suffering, but it is not a suffering that I do alone. It is a suffering with Him. He carries the burden with me. He sheds the tears with us. He doesn't remove the suffering, but He does say we don't suffer alone with Him. Now follow, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Suffering is never suffering for the sake of suffering. Suffering with Him has a purpose. It has a reason. It has a goal that it is moving to. And He says that goal, that purpose, is that we will be glorified. Again, that preposition with, we will be glorified with Him. So when God calls me to suffering, when God brings me into a season and through a season of suffering, it is for the purpose that we will be glorified with Him. Notice verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed it to us. Now, Paul was a man who was no stranger for suffering. He went from jail cell to jail cell suffering for Jesus. He went through all kinds of stuff for the Lord in the process of suffering. But he's saying, listen, I'm going through this time of suffering right now, but when I look at this present place of suffering, it's not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed down the road. So I don't sit in the suffering and just suffer in the suffering and agonize in the suffering like I'm stuck here and never getting anywhere. He says, I'm looking forward to... To a glory that is going to be revealed to me. So, when we think along with the Spirit of God in our lives and we go through seasons of suffering, the work of the Spirit is to say, first of all, you're suffering with me. You're not alone in this. And second, the work of the Spirit is to say, there's glory that is coming. There is glory that is going to be revealed. And so, stay in there not because of the suffering, but stay in there because the suffering is getting you ready and the suffering is the road to the revelation of the glory of God. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, I wish that there were the road to experiencing the glory of God went in another direction other than suffering. I mean, how many do we, at times do we try to pick another road other than the road of suffering to get to the glory of God? But Paul's saying, you've got to go down the road to get to the glory. The glory is on the other end of the road of suffering. And we don't get to choose which road we're going to take in this. When he says it's time to go through that season, we got to go through that season, but that's where it goes. Verse 26, our prayer life. Think along the lines of the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. How many times have you been in prayer and you've said, God, I don't know what to say? You just sit there with your mouth wide open. God, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I'm groaning on the inside. Guess what? That is a good place to be in prayer. That's a good place to be in prayer. Because what do I do at that place in prayer? I I don't stop praying and say, Lord, I'm giving up. I don't know what to say. What I say at that time when I get to that place in prayer is, Lord, I am trusting the Holy Spirit of God to intercede. I am trusting Him to intercede with groanings that are too Deep for words. I'm asking the Spirit of God, and I am trusting the Spirit of God to take over at this time in prayer and to begin to intercede on my behalf. And it's not going to come out in words because the Spirit's not going to pray in words. But I'm going to trust the Spirit of God to do that. Now, let's go on down to verse 27. And he who searches and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You and I allow the Holy Spirit of God to take over our prayer life, and sooner or later we're going to end up right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. We want to know the will of God, walk in the will of God, allow the Holy Spirit of God to take over our prayer life. And we know that for those, verse 26, who love God, all things work together together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. So if I've set my mind on the things of the Spirit, verse 28 is His promise. If we love God, and we are called according to His purpose, set our mind on the Spirit of God, we know that all things work together for good. So His promise to us, as you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, And he says, I will see to it that everything that happens in your life works together for good. I had a professor who used to say, all means all, and that's all all means. (laughs) All things. That means God has got the power and the ability to take the negative, the junk, the difficult, the suffering, the hurt, the pain, whatever. He's able to take any of it and all of it and use it and work it to make something good come out of it. He's got that authority and power. We don't, but He does. And we trust Him in that. Verse 30, And those whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. It means that I think like I've been predestined, I've been called, I've been justified, and I have been glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Again, I'm setting my mind on the things of the Spirit. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And I love verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, I look through my life, look through your life, take everything out there, none of that has got the power to separate us from the love of God. When I set my mind on the Holy Spirit, nothing can separate me from God's love. The greatest reality in my life is that Jesus loves me, which means He's committed to me. He's in my life. Jesus loves me which means that I can focus on Him, be embraced by Him, live my life for Him, with Him, as we saw earlier in there. And I love the way Paul just outlines it over and over and over again. Death can't separate me from Him. So if I'm facing a terminal illness, no, I'm not excited about the illness. I'm not excited about the prospect of death per se, but I know that death does not have the power to separate me from the love of God. Death is not greater than the love and the presence of God. Life, I don't care what I face in life, it cannot separate me from the love of God. A lot of things can cause separation in our lives, but nothing can separate us from the love of God. The angels, the rulers, things present or things to come. How many times do we worry about what's happening tomorrow and what's happening next week and what might happen a year from now? Because that's going to cause some kind of separation in our lives. And he says, nothing in the future has the power to separate us from the love of God. The height nor depth, anything in creation, nothing can separate us because he says, we are conquerors through Christ. Anything I face in life, he's saying. Can't separate me from God's love. And when I think on the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is controlling, I am going to live as a conqueror, not as someone who has been conquered. That's what it means to set our minds on the Spirit. I want you to think with me about two of Jesus' disciples, Judas and Peter. Judas set his mind on the things of the flesh. Greed. I can just get that silver, that 30 pieces of silver in my hand. And so he betrays Jesus, and he gets two things for betraying Jesus. He gets 30 pieces of silver, and he gets popularity with the scribes and the Pharisees. And where does his story end? He got his money, he got his popularity... But the passage of Scripture we looked at today says it always leads to death. And the money didn't satisfy very long. And the popularity didn't satisfy for very long. And then he started feeling empty. And then he started feeling remorse. And he started feeling guilt and shame. And so he went out on a hillside. And no one had to take his life from him. He took his own life from himself. Because that's where setting our mind on the flesh is always going to take us sooner or later. Peter. Peter denies Jesus three times. Goes out into the night and weeps. But Peter's story didn't stop there. Because Peter knew what it was to be forgiven by Jesus. He knew what it was to be restored by Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter after he's sinned, but after he's been forgiven, in the process of restoration... And he says, Peter, three times he says to Peter, Go feed my sheep. I've got a work for you to do. I am restoring you. I am empowering you. Peter, you go to Jerusalem and you wait and you pray until I fill you up with my power and then see what happens. And Peter goes and Peter waits and Peter prays. And the Spirit of God, as he sets his mind on the things of the Spirit, the Spirit fills him And the book of Acts begins to be written and to be lived out as He lives out what it means to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. We have to make the decision. Am I going to set my mind on the things of the flesh? Or am I going to set my mind on the things of the Spirit? Judas is the picture of what happens when we set our minds on the things of the flesh and keep them there. Peter is the story of even though we fail and blow it and mess up, if we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, what God will do with us, how He can cleanse us, forgive us, restore us, empower us, and use us. Let's pray. Lord, we want to ask that You would speak to our lives. Speak to our minds and discipline us, Lord. Stay on us. That we will keep our minds off of the things of the flesh and rather, Lord, on the things of the Spirit. And Lord, thank You that in so doing we will realize deep within our souls that God, when we feel lonely and isolated and overwhelmed and defeated or tremendously challenged, none of it separates us from Your love. None of it has the power or the ability to separate us from Your love. And we bless you for that, Jesus. Which means you're right there beside us all the time. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you just a moment as we sing to experience His love personally, deeply, for the first time. And to choose to follow Him, to ask Him to be your Savior, your best friend, and your Lord. And So as we sing, I invite you to come. And If you're here today and you sense that God is speaking to you and you saying, I, I want you to become part of this church family and, and serve the Lord with these folks, then why don't you respond in obedience to Him and make that decision. If you want to come and pray, the altar is always as open. Feel free to come. And if there's any other decision that you need to make this day, to respond to any particular call that He has in your life, and I invite you to make that decision. We have never to fear saying yes to Jesus. Even if saying yes to Him seems so overwhelming, we need not fear it. Lord, have your way with us in these moments now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing and come if you will.